My name is Eva, and welcome to part six, the penultimate episode of the History of the Anarchy. Last time, we left off as Robert of Gloucester was carried away to Rochester Castle as a prisoner of King Stephen's army, led by his wife, Queen Matilda. Stephen himself was still in chains in Bristol Castle, Robert of Gloucester's stronghold. This meant that the two fighting spirits of each side were now held against their will, Robert in the southeast, Stephen in the southwest of England. How, and more importantly, who could break this impasse? Stephen's wife, Queen Matilda, attempted to negotiate with Empress Matilda and would have exchanged Robert of Gloucester for King Stephen. But Empress Matilda was only too aware of the price she held and refused to parley, only suggesting an exchange of minor lords for Robert of Gloucester. Robert himself refused all attempts to lure him to King Stephen's course. But this was a difficult situation for Empress Matilda. She dearly wished to hold on to Stephen, but without Robert of Gloucester's unifying presence, her disparate forces lacked their formidable leader. It did not help that Empress Matilda's manner towards Queen Matilda was seen as dismissive and compelled the king's wife to seek a keener audience elsewhere. She found that in Mabel Fitzrobert, wife of Robert of Gloucester, and it was to her that Queen Matilda suggested a swap, and Robert's wife and his men were more than willing to listen. And so, Negotiations were carried out more or less behind Empress Matilda's back, and she was rep- uh, presented with a fait accompli when things had already been agreed. However angry the Empress felt, and I discussed in an earlier episode her tendency towards cold fury, it was the only liable option. If Empress Matilda wanted to win the conflict by armed force, she needed her commander back. So after all that, the dramatic capture of Stephen at the Battle of Lincoln and the resigned surrender of Robert at Stockbridge, the two men were exchanged with nothing gained on either side. Oh, but what a year 1141 had been. From Stephen's capture in February and most of England and Normandy in the hands of Matilda by March, to Matilda being proclaimed Lady of England in expectation of her coronation in June, her flight out of Westminster days before being crowned, to Robert taken prisoner in September. The reversals of fortune for the two cousins fighting for the crown brought nothing but misery for those who lived through those times. 
In the interim between Stephen's capture and Matilda's march on London in 1141, the governance of England had fallen into such disarray that local lords had taken to minting their own coin, as this was no longer done by the crown. One can only guess what this did to inflation and prices locally and abroad. The mercenaries whom both Matildas, Queen and Empress, had engaged in their respective armies were underpaid and took to roaming the countryside, making roads and isolated villages, places that in one night could be transformed from a peaceful haven to a place of death and destruction. And even those who lived behind sturdier walls and were thus better protected from roaming bandits, well, they had to quickly reconsider their status when Stephen was set free in late 1141. Henry of Winchester, for an example, Stephen's own brother, had been quite quick to declare for Matilda when fortune favoured her earlier that year. But he had abandoned her shortly before the Londoners revolted, and in December of 1141, it was Henry of Winchester who led a church council that once again proclaimed Stephen as the one true king, and it was on Henry's advice that Stephen and his queen Matilda were crowned once again. Whatever Stephen might personally have felt at the betrayal and then sudden recollection of brotherly love from Henry of Winchester. The fact was, Stephen needed the support, and not least the wealth of the church to keep the fight going, so he could not formally cast aside Henry of Winchester or the other wavering lords who just now again remembered their loyalty to him. But in private, Stephen did complain, bitterly, according to the chronicler Henry of Huntington. Stephen's luck did change during 1142, with more battles won than lost on his part, especially during the first part of the year when Robert of Gloucester was dispatched to Normandy to beat down ongoing conflicts there. Stephen managed to capture strategic castles around Dorset in early 1142, making it impossible for Matilda's supporters from Normandy to dock in the harbour and resupply her forces. By the summer of 1142, Stephen directly threatened Matilda's properties in Oxford. Stephen still firmly believed that capturing Matilda would be enough to end the strife and the civil war, and for this reason he decided on a course of attack on Oxford, where Matilda resided by the late summer of 1142. Oxford had been fortified by William the Conqueror, and Oxford Castle was said to be impossible to breach. 
So instead of hammering down the castle walls, Stephen settled for a long siege and blocked all roads in and out of Oxford by August of 1142. Then, in late September, Stephen launched a surprise attack on the town of Oxford, personally leading his army across the waterways that protected the town. Stephen led, as ever, from the front, swimming in his armour across the murky waters and engaged Matilda's much smaller army in and around the town. Matilda's men were quickly overwhelmed and retreated into the castle, leaving control of the town of Oxford in Stephen's hands. From here, he meant to starve his enemies out. All roads, all gates in and out of Oxford Castle were heavily guarded by his men. By December, as cold and hunger set in, morale amongst the men-at-arms within Oxford Castle started to ebb away. There had been a certain amount of defections on both sides during 1142. Even the castellan of Oxford Castle had once been a supporter of Stephen until he defected to Matilda. One can only wonder if thoughts of betrayal passed through Matilda's mind as snow fell heavily in those cold December days. We may never know, but perhaps it did inform her decision to make a break for it. After more than three months' siege, Matilda succeeded in the impossible. She escaped. The manner of her escape drew wonder, amazement, and several suspicions of treachery amongst Stephen's men. For how did she manage it? Even contemporary chroniclers embellished the story of Matilda's escape and told of how she shinned down a castle wall and walked across the frozen castle mill stream in the dead of night. The most quoted and most believed account comes from the chronicle De Gesta Stefani that recounted that she took advantage of the carelessness of Stephen's soldiers who sought shelter from the cold and left a postern castle door unguarded one extremely cold night. And accompanied by only four trusted men and without telling others of her departure, Matilda walked out of the back of the castle, covered in a white sheet to blend in with the falling snow, and walked past Stephen's men, who could hardly see a foot ahead of themselves because of the falling snow. And Matilda walked and walked until she reached Abingdon, some ten miles away, and was housed by one of her supporters. While King Stephen's bravery in battle was always much talked about, I feel that there is no doubt that Matilda's courage was no less than her rival's. The, the chronicler of Digesta Stefani summed her luck up like this. I have never read of another woman so luckily rescued 
from so many mortal foes and from the threat of dangers so great. The truth being that she went from the castle of Arundel uninjured through the midst of her enemies. She escaped unscathed from the midst of the Londoners and stole away in wondrous fashion from the rout of Winchester. And then, when she left besieged Oxford, she came away safe and sound. With Matilda gone, the castle surrendered the following day, and just as Stephen had boasted to his men, Oxford Castle was his by Christmas, just without his most prized prisoner. From here, the anarchy devolved into a kind of stalemate in the mid-1140s. These years saw Stephen not so much fighting Matilda as fighting his own defectors, as the Earl of Essex in the east and the Earl of Norfolk in the north. Stephen made a habit of inviting lords whom he disliked to his own castle of choice and once the lord and his retinue had been wined and dined, Stephen would then have them arrested. This ruse was applied to Ranulf of Chester in 1146. Remember Ranulf, whose land Stephen had given over to David, King of Scotland, which resulted in Ranulf declaring for Matilda. Well, Ranulf had, in 1145, switched back his allegiance to Stephen. But Stephen and Ranulf, they were back to quarrelling by 1146, where Ranulf was arrested, and he was only released when he gave over several of his hard-won castles. But as soon as Ranulf was free to rebel, he rebelled, and Stephen's habit of whining and dining and then arresting men of power did not commend him to such men, and made it difficult for Stephen to call upon them in times of need. And so by 1147, the tempo of the civil war was very different from those hectic, bloody days of 1141-1142. Siege warfare was still the order of the day, but increasingly the besieged would make their own peace with the besiegers without consulting Stephen or Matilda. And what about Matilda in these years? Well, in 1143, Miles of Gloucester, one of her most ardent supporters who had declared for her way back in 1139, he was killed in a hunting accident. This left Matilda without her sheriff and man of the West. An even harder blow to her fighting force fell in 1147, when her greatest warrior and commander, her half-brother, Robert of Gloucester, died. This man, the illegit illegitimate son of the late Henry I, who had fought as viciously as any in Normandy and England, who had held a king captive and had himself been a prisoner, 
who had lived to see his own son and heir, Philip, defect to Stephen's course. This old warrior died peacefully in his bed at Bristol Castle. There was no immediate successor to Robert, and with his death, a momentum of the fierce fighting melted away. Matilda herself returned to Normandy in that same year of 1147 to bulk up her husband's and now increasingly her eldest son Henry's cause. Her husband, Count Geoffrey of Anjou, had been declared Duke of Normandy after his victories over the Norman lords in 1144. It was said of Geoffrey that he always wore a fig of the blossom, Genista, on his person when he rode into battle, and this, it is assumed, is the origin of the nickname Plantagenet, a term later used to define the Plantagenet dynasty that ruled England from 1154 until the death of Richard III in 1485. But that is a story for another day. Upon Matilda's return to Normandy, her son, Henry, launched what can only be described as a pitifully small invasion of England in late 1147. But this invasion failed, not least because Henry lacked the means to pay his mercenaries. They were paid by King Stephen who probably did not want additional mercenaries roaming about, but also because Stephen was beginning to think of a solution to the civil war. Stephen's mind was beginning to focus on his legacy. And that is where I shall leave it for today. Next time, the conclusion to the anarchy. Until then, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening.